Uh, if you're in a bad mood today, I want to apologize right up front. I am very excited about today, um, and so I can't relate to you today. You just uh, have to come with me. Um, this weekend is uh, uh, been, uh, yesterday was a really cool day. Um, I want to go in the order of the importance that I think it was. Uh, one, we had uh, Harvest Fest, so we got to, to uh, put up our little blackboards and have fun interacting with people and see all the, the people who need for God to help them build their lives on grace. And uh, that, was, that was encouraging. It was a good time. Number two, um, we moved uh, our... Let me explain why this is a big deal beforehand. The more secure we get things, the more creative in, the way the, in, in many ways the way we can up the way that we minister to people, the more uh, secure we make things um, and make progress with the building. And so yesterday, we moved the sound system from the floor back there in the corner up to the lobby. You're welcome to stand up, turn around, take a look at it. Wave, guys. Yep, that's good. Uh, Michael Turo spent 18 hours on this yesterday. Would you please stand, give Michael Turo a standing ovation? The third thing that happened was uh, 25 guys went uh, rafting. Um, they took on a big river, and I heard it was pretty exciting. They got really wet, went all over the place. Um, you're like, wow, you're, you're that into rafting. Huh? That made you so excited. This is what made me excited. Uh, we have a young man whose dad is, is not here. He lives uh, far away, so he doesn't get to interact with his dad. And He's been in our children's ministry um, for a good, some, a good time. And to be honest with you, he, he's actually been quite a struggle from time to time. There's been a lot of energy that had to, had to be poured into this guy. And yes, last night I got a text back, and it was a picture of this little guy going on the rafting trip, which means the men who went on the rafting trip are pouring into this guy. This is what Skyline's all about. This is what our vision is about. Even though we can get excited about the sound and moving that up, and there's actually a lot of love that goes into all the work that's involved in that, and we, we can get ex excited about outreach and how we want to be able to help people, invite people to be a part of us, we do all of that so that actual real ministry will happen. So that men will be fathers to sons, or men will be fathers to people or, or young men that aren't their sons, that they will actually take them under their wing and they will begin to make a difference in these people's lives. That's our vision. That's why I'm excited. Because when I watch that happen, when I see that happen within our family, you're like, okay, this is, this is it. This is what God wants to do in our lives and that's what God is doing in our lives. So we've been working through this, uh, this vision idea and uh, so our vision says we want to create a place where we treat one another the way that God treats us. And we've been wrestling with that. And um, actually, we've had, I, I've had a lot of fun with it. I've grown uh, from it. Um, it's been fun to hear the interactions with you guys as you talk about it in group. And so uh, I'm going to today basically review, because we, I, I have a fourth thing. We have a special treat um, last week I was talking through courage, and I talked about a soldier, and um, said, well, I don't really have a right to say this because I'm not a soldier, and someone in our church texted me while I was talking, uh, texted me what, a, what, what it really takes for a soldier to have courage, and he's going to come share that with us today. So yeah, I'm super, yeah, why don't you say, what, yeah, why don't I get done and get him up here? Okay, here we go. We, uh, we're going to review some, some major pieces that we learned in this series. First, we, we, 
We started off with three parts of faith, because faith is central to this whole thing of being able to treat one another the way that God treats us. And faith has three parts. Um, our, our interpretation of the facts, the way we see the way that facts are. In this case, it was Abraham who lived uh, 99 years and never had a child. And, and, and his perspective is, it's impossible. It's not going to happen. And, and oftentimes, the facts, when we interpret them, we, it's very logical. It's very understandable that we interpret, okay, this, what God says could never happen. But then you have the other side of it, and that's God's word and God's promises. God's, there's not always a conflict between our interpretation of the facts and God's word and God's promises. But whenever your life is really going to change and you're going to treat somebody the way that God treats you, there's a conflict. There's always a conflict. It always looks like if I do that, it's not going to go well. I don't see how that's going to work out. I don't see how that's going to get us where we want to go. And so you have a choice between the way you interpret the facts and God's word. That choice is faith. You're, you're either going to put your faith into the way you interpret the facts, or you're going to put it into God's word and his promises. Either way, it's faith. Either way. It's just what do you put your faith in? Those are the three parts of faith. The next piece that we worked through was, okay, how, how, what's the pattern for treating one another the way that God treats us? Um, how do we interact with, with this pattern? What's this, how, how does this work? And it has three basic parts. Uh, the first part of the pattern is that God's grace comes first. God acts toward you first. You do not come up with a great idea. It's not that you're like, God, I want my life to change and I want to be different. And so, God, I'm going to come to you. And, and I, that's not what happens. I'm going to do what's right for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to get you to notice me. And I'm going to, here I am, God. Do you see me? And, and act on, no, no, no. Grace comes first. While we're off doing our thing, God says, no, no, no. I want something better for you. I want something good for you. God acts toward you first. You don't act toward God first. We don't act and get God to react. Exact opposite. God acts and invites us to react toward him. <clears throat> God's <clears throat> so God's love by grace comes first. The Bible says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Inside that verse is all this information we've been working through in the series that God first acted toward you so that you could be made right and pure and clean. Secondly, we accept Jesus' Jesus, his word, and his promise by faith. So there's the way we interpret facts. Then God comes along and makes you this promise that he's acting toward you. By, he's acting toward you. He loves you, and it, it comes first. And so then we have a choice. Are we going to trust Jesus, what he, who he is, what he says, and what he promises us? And the third thing is that God's spirit rules our life. When, we happen, when that happens. And we use these, uh, these curtains, which represent God's goodness, God's righteousness, God's rule in your life. See, it's not that you aren't trying to head in the right direction. You do. It's not even that you necessarily have the wrong motives. You often have great motives. But man, it gets messed up, right? The power to treat somebody the way that God treats me 
it gets, gets messed up. And so we come to church oftentimes like, okay, I'm going to do it now. I'm really going to do it. You get done hearing a message or you hear one online, you're like, I'm really going to do it. But if you're not careful, what you've done is you've put your faith in you. You put your faith in you. And so you might be a great person, you might be a wonderful person, but you just keep running into this wall where you can only go so far. And then it's just too hard. You have really good reasons why it's too hard, but it's just too hard. That's not our vision. Not at all. Our vision is not to get you to come here so we can pump you up and get you out there and change your behavior. That's not our vision. Our vision is that you would come to know that God has acted towards you first. He's with you right now. He's here right now. He he knows you. He's given his life for you. And so you've got a choice to make. Am I going to trust Jesus or am I going to trust the facts as I see them? And so when we spend time, not when I spend time and I listen to a message or read the Bible, what I'm looking for is God's word and God's promises for me and whether or not I can believe them. Right, And so as I do that and I put those on and I believe Jesus, we, we notice that what happens is we just get filled with really the power and the love of God. Our ability to treat other people, I'm not going to throw it over my head like I did a couple weeks ago here, the ability to then love people or have courage toward people comes from God's Spirit which rules our life. Now, when I'm in a conflict with somebody, I tend to put my head up against them, right? Like, I'm gonna, by force, I'm going to try to make them change. And I try to be a really good person. And I try to bring that good person to the force. That's not the pattern of treating other people the way God treats us. The pattern of treating other people the way that God treats us is I understand I don't have what it takes to treat you the way God treats me. So I'm going to accept what God's given me. I'm going to grab a hold of it. Something amazing happens. The Spirit of God rules your life. You're able to love people and have courage in a way you never thought possible. So that was the pattern. Then we talked about love. And in the love thing, there was one line that came out that kind of became something that I've heard coming back and forth, and so I wanted to touch on that today, because there's a little bit of misunderstanding to it, and that's this. You want to, if you're going to love the way that God loves you, you want to run to the pain. Why? Because Jesus ran to the pain. That's what it means to die for his enemies. That's what it means to die for people while they're yet sinners. It means their life is messed up, and I'm going to jump in the center of that. That's what it means. So a number of people said, well, uh, so does that mean I'm supposed to like it? Like, if I really meant it, would I like the pain? I'm going to be very, very clear about this. No. If you love drama, that's not healthy. That doesn't come from this. The reason that we will get involved in drama is because we want to bring Christ's love to the drama. And whenever somebody 
trades in what they interpretate the facts for, for what God says is true, the drama goes away. That's the story of many of your lives. When you walked into Skyline, you were nothing but drama. But now you've noticed, wow, that drama has gone aside, right? Now you can run towards somebody else's drama. You can run toward the pain. But Jesus, before he died, said, God the Father, is there any other way we can do this? Is there any other way we can do this? He ran toward the pain. He didn't love the pain. He just did it because he was so driven by the way that God the Father had loved him. And we, in, when we interact with love, we often... Uh, we often... Uh, measure love by how they're going to love us back. So we'll step out and we'll love them first. But as we love them, we want to know if they're going to love us back. Because if they're not going to love me back, why would I love them more? Number two, I want them to prove to me that they're not going to hurt me. As I love them, I want to prove to me they're not going to hurt me. God's love says, I know you're not going to love me back, and I know you're going to hurt me. But I'm going to run there anyway. Why? Because that's what God does. That's who he is. And when you clothe yourself with the righteousness of God, when you clothe yourself with what he has to say and what he's promised you, his spirit rules your life. You get to be loved by him and then be able to love other people. The second, was, the second one was courage. Um, <clears throat> so uh, we, we discovered in courage that courage comes from knowing the, the presence and the pleasure of God the Father. The way that you build courage, the way that you're able to grab a hold of this stuff is when you experience and know that you have the presence and the pleasure of God. It's amazing the courage that you can uh, experience, put forth in those situations. And so um, we've got uh, a guy named Adam Jones. Um, he has uh, actually been, uh, he's served in Iraq. Uh, I believe he's an army ranger. And so you've heard me talk about special forces before. And like, I'm like, wow, how do those guys do that? Well, um, we have our very own uh, special forces guy. And so Adam, would you please come on out? Turn it up. Can you guys hear me? So there's a, there's a lesson in courage uh, in how I ended up on this stage. It's easy to send a text message to the pastor. <laughs> it's a little bit harder to say yes to his invitation to talk on a Monday, right? Saturday night when I'm sitting uh, in front of my MacBook looking at a blank screen, is not very easy anymore. And then this morning, I swear I was sick, right? I, I, I wasn't going to make it. So um, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a public speaker. I'm just a guy sharing a story, all right? So last week, Pastor Chris um, talked about courage, and he played a, a clip from the Band of Brothers. Um, but before we get into that, let me introduce myself. 
My name is Adam. My wife Katie and I and our children have been coming to Skyline for about a year now. Um, prior to New Jersey, uh, I was in the military for eight years. And I took Pastor Chris up on the offer to really talk about what courage looks like from a military person's perspective. So I titled this quick talk, Movie Clip Courage, because I think when we think about courage, we think about the movie clips that he played last week. Unlike the movies, courage doesn't just happen. That's the first point. So the clip that he played last week from the Band of Brothers, um, a little military history, the Band of Brothers was the 506 Infantry Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division. Uh, the 101st Airborne Division had four infantry regiments that rolled up to it. And each one of those infantry regiments that rolled up to the division spray-painted on the side of their helmets uh, one of the symbols from a deck of cards. So if you watch the Band of Brothers, you notice that they, were, they had spades. Every single one of them had a spade on the side of their helmet. And that's how you could identify them in combat um, with any other soldier from the army. Tons of soldiers in combat. Which guys are my guys? The guys with the spades on their helmet. Pretty, pretty easy. Um, when I deployed to Iraq in 2010, I was part of the 502nd Infantry Regiment of the 101st. So I wore a heart on my helmet when I was in Iraq. And even more interesting, in 2012, when I deployed for a second time to Afghanistan, I was in the 501st Infantry Regiment where I wore a diamond on my helmet. The 501st um, separated from the 101st after Vietnam and they were reassigned to Alaska. So I deployed from Alaska to Afghanistan as, uh, as part of the 501st. So when he showed that clip last week, uh, seeing spades on the helmet or hearts on the helmet or diamonds on the helmet, that really hits home with me. So when I think of courage, I think about it kind of in motion, right? It's that epic moment when you're watching the movie and the movie slows down and the air gets kind of dusty and the film gets grainy and the camera gets sideways and you get the close-up of the soldier's eyes with a crooked helmet, right? And in that moment, that soldier's running across an open battlefield to save his buddy who's laying on the ground. That's an act of courage. We step back and we see that and we are just in awe of what that person did. And as a nation, we give medals out to people for doing acts of courage. The Medal of Honor is a medal honoring courage. The Medal of Honor is awarded to service members that distinguish themselves by valor. And I think to understand courage, it's really important first to understand what valor is. So what is valor? Valor is the choice and willingness to confront agony, pain, danger, and uncertainty. So today I'm not gonna talk about any epic courageous thing that I've done. Because to be honest, like most people, I don't have that story. I was just a guy that did his job. And so this morning I'm gonna talk a little bit about what that looks like. Because there's more to courage than that 30 second slow motion clip. Like Pastor Chris has been teaching us, courage is more of a process than a moment. So, what I'm going to talk about today is how doing my job as a soldier really sets the conditions 
for those glorious acts that we see in the moment. So the first thing you have to do in the process of courage is you have to join the fight. All right? In the military, this is enlisting. This is going down to you know, the, the, the local recruiter and answering all of his questions. That's joining the fight at the simplest level. For Christians, for us, it's getting baptized. That's when you're deciding to step into the ring, into the arena, as uh, Teddy Roosevelt said. So when I decided to join the fight um, and enlist in the military, a key point, though, it wasn't real to me yet. Remember that valor has to be willing. You have to be aware of the risk for it to actually be an act of courage. To me, life and death was still a fiction. So when I joined, I was uh, just out of college, and I was blissfully ignorant. Right around 9-11, you know, I was a freshman in college, and I told my dad that I wanted to drop out and join the Marines. And my dad, in his wisdom, in his very blunt way, said, the war is not going anywhere. Stay in college, get a degree, go in as an officer. My dad was an enlisted uh, soldier in Vietnam, and I thought that was pretty sound advice. So I listened to him, and I stayed in college. Over the next three years prior to enlisting, I probably watched every single uh, war movie. I watched the History Channel and Military Channel, like on Rewind. I did CrossFit and hiked in the woods. I, I was a soldier in my own mind, though not in reality. It was still a fiction to me. In 2006, I joined the Army, um, and I went to basic training, which was pretty cool, um, and then a bunch of other military schools. And right before Ranger School in 2007, I married Katie. And uh, a fun fact about us on our honeymoon, we watched the entire series of Band of Brothers. <laughs> so we are weirdos. We, and, but the thing is, it still wasn't real to me. It was not real to me yet. Even though I joined the fight, even though I went through some training, it wasn't real to me. So you need to really accept your mortality. And, and this is part of the process of, of it becoming real. So the day it became real to me was the day that I got my deployment orders to Iraq. So the orders have your name clearly written on it, and it has a appointed date and time that you are going to get on an airplane, and you are going to leave your family and your home and everything that you know and love, and you're going to fly to combat. That's when I first knew that this was a real, a real thing that I'm about to do. And it's a, it's a small act of courage to kiss your wife and baby goodbye, knowing that you're going to go face danger and possibly death. There's a lot of emotion and uncertainty in that moment, and it definitely becomes real. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, so the next point is you need to accept that there's no turning back. So leading up to me getting on a plane and flying off to a hostile environment, what do you do? You train, all right? 
the military trains you. You train and you lean in as much as you can. You try to learn as much as you can because at that point that you get those orders and there's a date and time, there's a clock ticking now. It's clicking, it's ticking and you know that you're running out of time. So part of the training teaches you to keep moving forward. Um, and moving forward is kind of a tenant in the military. The military even goes so far as um, using symbology to say move forward, keep moving forward. If you guys ever notice a soldier in his uniform, they have the flag on their right shoulder, right? And it kind of looks like it's backwards to everybody because the, the stars are in the upper right-hand corner. And it looks like the flag's backwards, and you're like, why would that be like that? It's symbolic of a soldier moving forward in battle. It's kind of funny that the Army says, um, you know, we don't retreat. We just move forward in reverse. So <laughs> that's another point. Um, but the clock keeps ticking down. So prior to World War II, the Band of Brothers in a the video, they trained in Georgia and, and in England before invading Normandy. And when I was in the 502nd, um, we, tra we trained in Tennessee, we trained in Louisiana, we trained in Kuwait before deploying to Baghdad. Um, and that's the time that you really become one with your team. And once you become one with your team, at that point is when there's really no turning back. That's when you become the band of brothers and sisters. And it's that first act of becoming a member of a team that makes um, that first act of being courageous, of getting on that plane just a little bit easier, though it's not very easy. Um, and that's how the US Army really builds their teams. So the next point is you really have to accept that we're stronger together. I think it's important to acknowledge that this is really a biblical principle, that we're stronger together. In Romans 12:5, it says, so that we are one body in Christ. And if you've come to church more than once, you know that we talk a lot about there's different skills and blessings that we all bring to the fight. And one person might be the hand, and another person might be the foot or the eyes or the mouth or whatever, but we all play a part. And the Army is the exact same way. I was part of the surge in 2007, if anybody remembers that, into Baghdad. Um, the General Petraeus put forth a plan, 20,000 additional troops in Baghdad, lock down the, the core of the country, and the rest of the country will follow. So I was part of that 20,000 additional troops to Baghdad. When I got there, uh, it marked the high water mark of US soldiers in that country. So at that point in time, we had 180,000 troops in Iraq. That's a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And communication and teamwork, that's the only way it's going to work. Otherwise, it'll be absolute chaos. Different people bringing different skills is necessary. And like Pastor Chris said last week, if you're all alone, you're not going to find any courage. And I was definitely not alone. In the military, you plug into the larger hole. I was a Pittsburgh boy, but I quickly made friends with a bunch of Southerners, really. <laughs> Tucker uh, became my best friend. Tucker is a kid from Tennessee. Nick was from North Carolina. My, uh, one of my, another good friend, Randy, is from Shreveport, Louisiana. And 
So people came from all walks of life, and when you join the military, you really leave your baggage behind, um, with one exception, and that's college football. There's, there's definitely a lot of debate <laughs> about what was, this was, you got to put yourself back in 2007, and what's the better conference, the Big Ten or the SEC? It turns out that they were correct, and I was wrong, um, but we'll strike that from the, from the podcast. Um, <laughs> But you definitely plug into something greater than yourself. And that's what really sets the conditions for courage to actually happen. My next point is you have to decide to master your job. So at that point, you have people looking to you to really play your part. So to have an act of courage, you really have to do something outside of your human nature. And to do something outside of your human nature, you have to do it over and over again. So that looks like training in the military. They'll say the same thing. They say, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And you hear that over and over again. You disassemble your rifle, you reassemble your rifle. And they say, slow down. And you, why slow down? You want me to do this fast. You start to learn if you slow down and you do it smoothly, you can actually do it quicker after you get enough repetitions. It becomes second nature. You train for the worst case scenario over and over again. And this is really where a lifestyle of courage becomes instilled in the, in the soldier. You train for every scenario, but most importantly, you, you plan for the worst case scenarios. OK, what if the boss goes down? Who steps up? What if the next guy goes down? Who steps up? And you just run through these rehearsals again and again and again and again and again and again. That also sets the conditions for courage. So in the military, that looks a lot like basic training, individual training, collective training, endless nights reading books on leadership and strategy. And in the movies, they really do a good job, I think, at highlighting the burden that's placed on the leader. So in the movies, you'll see the leader going to church by himself before the deployment, right? And you can see him praying by himself uh, because he has the burden of all of his soldiers that he's carrying on his back. And when I deployed to Iraq, I was 25. I was in charge of a platoon of 30 people. When I deployed to Afghanistan a few years later, I was 29, and now I was in charge of 200 people. And I can tell you that the burden placed on you in a leadership position is enormous. Um, you're always thinking, did I miss something? Is there something else I could have trained my guys and girls on? Is there something else, that, is there something that I missed? Could I, you stay up and you, you just scour every piece of intelligence that you can get. You obsess on it. Because you know that these, whatever you say is what's gonna happen there's definitely things outside of your control, don't get me wrong, but the decision to move forward is yours. In the Christian walk, I think there's a lot of overlap. So in the Christian walk, to me, it looks like reading your Bible, spending quiet time with God in prayer, and leaning into your role that you play in the larger body. And Jesus modeled this for us when he separated himself to read scriptures and pray. Matthew 14, 23 says, after, he'd, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, 
He was there alone. How many endless nights do you think Jesus spent with God in prayer? Scouring over scripture to make sure he didn't miss anything. How many times did he read the scripture? Again and again and again and again and again. The burden of the leader is enormous. And I think that Jesus knew that the clock was ticking. And he wasn't going to waste any time. So you have to trust your training in the moment. So back to my story. So you have this little act of courage when you get on the plane and you fly to Iraq or Afghanistan and you kiss your wife goodbye. And you really try to look strong and stoic in the moment and be tough. But the truth is you're terrified, right? You think that you're going to die. You think that things are going to blow up all around you. And you think that, you know, this is it. Like, but you, you can't let people see that. Um, so especially as a leader, you, you have to, you know, be out in front. But the truth is you're terrified. The funny thing is combat is a lot like baseball or soccer, where a lot of time passes and not a lot of stuff happens, right? Um, yes, things blow up. Yes, you get shot at. But it's always far enough away that it doesn't really concern you after a while. You kind of just keep doing your job. You keep doing what you train to do. And that goes on for a while, sometimes months, until that moment in time when the film slows down and the camera gets dusty and the camera turns sideways and the close-up of the soldier's eyes. Now it's really time for that moment of courage to happen. All of the conditions have been set. Now is when the movie actually starts. So when we watch these films, we see that 30-minute clip and we say, that's courage. But that's the manifestation of a million smaller pieces of courage that happened before it. In the military, we talked about the Medal of Honor and how it's awarded to soldiers who have distinguished themselves by act of valor, acts of selflessness, Acts where we step back in awe and we say, I don't think I could have done that. And if that soldier was alone in that clip, if he wasn't part of something greater, then there would be no act of courage for us to be in awe of. And to me, that's what makes Jesus' act of courage most impressive is because Jesus was alone. Jesus was abandoned at the moment when he made his most courageous decision. And it's important to remember that courage isn't the absence of fear. It's acting in spite of fear. And Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it's possible, please let this cup pass me. Like you and me, Jesus was afraid. Jesus was not excited in that moment. I can assure you of that. But then he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, being part of something greater. Jesus made the choice for you and me to confront agony and pain, knowing that it was going to result in his death. 
And in the moment that he made that conscious decision, he was alone. You know, we just sang it, but, I mean, can you see the love in his eyes now in that context? I don't think it gets more courageous than that, and I don't think it gets more selfless than that. But unlike the movies, real life goes on after a moment of courage. The soldier that gets awarded the Medal of Honor has to fly home after he leaves the White House, and he has to go back to his regular life. And I'm told that that can be a hollowing experience for people that receive that medal. That life truly isn't the same after they are awarded the medal after the act. That life can actually become more empty, more hollow. And I think the, the most amazing thing of all in our Christian walk is that we get to live in Je- Jesus' moment forever. And while we're still here on this earth, we get the gift of his, his courage through the Holy Spirit. And if you turn to the Spirit, you will not be empty, you will not be hollow. It says your cup will overflow. Jesus will make you brave if you turn into it and not away from it. So in closing, courage is a process. In Christ, it's an eternal process, not a movie clip not 30 seconds in slow motion, it's every day. You never know when the film will slow down in your life. So you have to show up every day, anticipating that it might, because it might, we don't know. You have to decide to join the fight, you have to look your mortality in the face, you have to accept that there's absolutely no turning back, you have to accept that we're stronger together. You have to dedicate yourself to mastering your job, whatever it might be. You have to trust your training in the moment, because what else do you have? And only then are the conditions really set in your life for the director to call action, slow the movie down, and allow for your act of courage to actually take place. Thank you. So you're not a preacher, huh? I don't know. Um, you want to be part of the vision? You want to be part of what God's doing? He's acted on your behalf. He's acting on your behalf right now. What's the next promise. He's asking you to believe. Is he asking you to actually come and accept him as your Savior? Is he asking you to join the fight? Last week, did you run out of here and run through those tents we had signed up for ministry because you're like, I don't even want to think about it, man. Got to keep moving. He's asking you to do that.
the list was awesome, right? God's got to be willing to die. God's got to be willing to, got to understand we're in this together. It's right down what God's been trying to teach us. But this is amazing about God. He only invites. He'll never force you. But don't think for a second that if you choose to say no, don't think for a second that if you choose to say no, your life ends up in the same place. It's not true at all. He is inviting you to step out of whatever life you're in and become a part of His vision for your life and His vision for our little group of people. We're just going to spend about, I don't know, 30 seconds. And this, this time is between you and Jesus. Jesus, what area of my life am I believing my interpretation of the facts and not your promise? And then, Jesus, do I dare believe you and let you rule my life? Because I want to warn you something. He will tell you to do something today. And you'll go, well, it's just me talking to myself. or I can't do that yet. No. This is the opportunity for you to believe him and let the spirit rule your life. And when you do, you will treat others the way that God treats you. Let's spend some time with him. The question is, Jesus, what are you asking me to believe? And if that's true, Jesus, what, what does my spirit want to do? Lord Jesus, I ask that you do whatever it takes in our life to make it crystal clear that you can be trusted. Then, Lord, I ask for courage. I know that we've learned that courage is not a momental thing, but I ask you to, to not only invite us to walk that path, but as we walk that path, would you build our courage? 
so that we can grab a hold of the fact we are a critical piece of your vision. We're part of your army. We're essential. There are so many of us in this room that you want to turn into leaders, but we're just too afraid. We're too afraid to take on that kind of responsibility. Or even to believe that we could be those people and that we're, we actually are that important. Lord, grow our courage. Teach us how to bond together and walk together and treat each other the way you treat us. And lastly, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the beauty of your life and your church, these people. Thank you. In your name we pray.